This is the Canadian Society of Cinematographers podcast. Join us as Canada's cinematographers discuss the tools and techniques they use in shaping the aesthetics of their current projects. I am here speaking with Douglas Cosi in Toronto, December 8th, 2020. The pandemic podcast. Hello. <laughs> Hello, how are you? Um, so, <coughs> Just kidding. What, what did you say? I coughed. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> We're going to be talking about Funny Boy, um, which was just recently released. And um, full disclosure that uh, Doug and I, we have known each other for, I was trying to figure it out, maybe at least 30 years. Yes. Yes. Probably. And uh, ironically, we actually met on the first feature that you shot with uh, Deepa Mehta. This is correct. Martha Ruth That's and right. And who produced it and directed it. I was her assistant and you were... A young up-and-coming DP. That's right. That's right. Yes. That's <laughs> and, right. And so we'll use this segue to like now you're shooting this. Is this is this the second film you've shot with Deepa? Well, no. the The first time I worked with her, she was one of three directors. Martha Ruth and Edie was three stories, three directors. So it was an anthology film. Then uh, a number of years later, I did Bollywood Hollywood with her, and then literally a year later, I did another film called The Republic of Love which she was just a hired director on. She didn't write it or produce it or anything like she was a, a hired director. And then, uh, and then uh, Funny Boy. Now yeah, Funny Boy. Do you feel just from those, those two previous experiences, you had a bit of a shorthand? You think? Uh, yes. I think knowing her um, uh, definitely made a difference. You know, like I think it was, I felt very comfortable working with her, even though I hadn't, I, when we went into Funny Boy, I hadn't actually worked with her like in ages, so but it was very um, it was very easy to come back to. Yeah, yes, because of that. Yeah. So now this took place overseas, so it wasn't in North America where you might <laughs> might have had all your conveniences. Yes. So there was perhaps some. Did you were you able to get your you got a full package over there and it was shipped over there, and it was there. Yes, the, the that's right. The camera package. Uh, came from here, came from Dasmo, now Grande camera. And uh, uh, it was all brand new. It was, we were very lucky. We had uh, two uh, brand new um, Aerie Alexa mini LFs and a set of, uh, of uh, Zeiss Signature Primes. And then we also carried a couple of Zooms, lightweight Zooms that were Zeiss as well. I forget, it's like a 28 to 70. I forget the exact numbers on them now. How embarrassing. But uh, we had, yeah, two, two short Zooms that, full, for, that would cover full frame. Uh, but one interesting surprise was when I got to Sri Lanka, and I had a little inkling of this, I did realize it was, in fact, certain of the places we were going to be filming in were way darker than I had even imagined. And... Um, this film was very much about working as much with available light or very, you know, minimal lighting. Obviously we were going to do a lot of lighting, but it's like very minimalist and use of practicals. And sometimes it might mean us going in ahead of time and changing them into things we wanted, uh, bulbs and fluoro tubes or having the art department put them in for us, things like that in the pre in the locations. Uh, but it was much darker than I thought. And like the city street scenes and things, I mean, really, really, really dark. So what I did was I brought in three Zeiss Master Primes, which technically are not full, you know, are not full frame lenses. But I brought in a 29, a 50 and an 85. 
1585 would actually illuminate, if not sort of technically cover, uh, the full frame. We, we, it also helped we were shooting in 239, so um, a very wide, which helps a little bit. Um, but they looked great, and then the 29 would porthole quite a bit. Like, it, you would see quite a lot of, you know, like, black vignetting. It's like it was a porthole. So the, all those shots would be obviously blown up to uh, to remove that. Um but I was quite amazed that the 50 and the 85 sort of, as it were, performed and covered as well as they did. Um, there's probably some subtle, funky, weird stuff at the far edges of the frame, but I, even then I actually had trouble seeing any of that. But it was shocking to me the difference, like a whole, just one f-stop between, you know, sort of 1.8 or 1.9 of the uh, Signature Primes and the 1.3 of the Zeiss Master Primes made such a huge difference. It was really shocking, actually. I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, no, I'm glad you. It, yeah. yeah, I'm glad you yeah. brought up the low light because I was. That's what I was curious about. Because just watching the film, like the one, like in the market, for example, you know, when they're getting mm -hmm. the meat. Oh yes. And I'm thinking, okay, it, fe it felt also very documentary. Yes. You know, and I'm thinking well, you were probably yeah. just kind of like went in there and just kind of like, did you? We actually went in. There was a little. What we did there is, and it was a deliberate thing on my part is. I had uh, our gaffer, Anya Shore, I had her and her and her uh, crew go in there ahead of time and change out some of the bulbs. I want to, it was a bit plain in there, I found, you know, the, the light. So basically what I had them go in and do is we carried a sort of um, a bunch of fluorescent tubes that were usually, they were like cool white, or we might even have cool white, and we put a gel sleeve of like full plus green on them just to sort of skunk them up. So we had all these funny names for them, like uh, like when they're the the cheap uh, daylight, what they call a daylight fluorescent tube, not a color corrected, but a, just a daylight, which has a lot of green in it. Those we, I would jokingly call Canadian tire daylight to differentiate them from, a, say, a Kino Flow daylight <laughs> tube, a real color corrected tube. So I would have her go in and say, leave this funny naked tungsten bulb here. Those ones back there, change them to green. And she, which one are just, oh, just randomly change them. And we would do funny things like that. So what you actually see is us having kind of gone in and sort of played with it a little bit ahead of time. And we might say, just unplug those that one in the corner there. Just make we'll make the corner a little darker. Well, so we, that's a lot of the time how we would do it. Yeah, because the market, we, yeah, the market, it felt very real. It felt like what it would look yeah. like actually. There was quite warm. Or, yes. Yeah. It was where it was very yes. It was deliberately a real hodgepodge of 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 color temperatures and weird you know green spiking things and stuff in there. And there was the warmth that they're standing in is just a naked like a naked uh, 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 you know like sixty watt bulb or clear lens bulb, which actually was a very funny thing. My advice to anyone going to Sri Lanka, and I don't know like it's something to think about if you're shooting in another part of the world. One thing that really surprised me there was it was virtually impossible to get actual incandescent light bulbs as practicals, like Edison-style bulbs, virtually, like, really difficult. You could get maybe up to 60 watts. They're all clear. But everything else, I think it's energy savings, you know, was everything else was LED. So if you just wanted straight incandescent practicals, bring them from home, as funny as that sounds. And that's something I would not have guessed. And so we actually used a lot of, like, we tested ahead of time. When I got there, it was like, emergency, when we realized in prep how difficult it was for Anya, the gaffer, to find. She kept coming back to me, going, why, you're kidding me? And she goes, no, it's the weirdest thing. This is all I can find. And then so we found dimmable, sometimes we had some dimmable um, 
uh, LED types. But with the look we were going for and stuff, so, even though they had far from what you would consider to be, you know, really great color reproduction in them, uh, I still liked them a lot. They, we tested a bunch of them. I said, no, oh, this looks great. So we, we sort of went with it. But that was an unexpected little twist there was how mm -hmm. difficult it was to get incandescent. Yeah, it's because the film takes place in the 70s? 1974 1970. and 1983. Uh, 7483. So I'm just was curious about, you know, trying to, what is the look? Like, is there much difference now over there, you know, now to the 70s as in like what the lighting is? Because, you know, well, in, in, our, in, our, in North yeah. America, you know, we can see a difference. Yes. And, and the same with set dressing and, and atmosphere. I mean, maybe the clothes a little bit, but I'm just trying to think, you know, did you have any some any kind of references for that period or like what was that approach for me there was nothing i mean you know obviously you're not going to have any like uh, lcd screens or you know there's not going to be any led type stuff nothing like that um places like that also two um uh compact fluorescence bulbs we had to watch out for a couple times sometimes they're in shot but they're so blown out you would never see the thing but the but the little pig's tail corkscrew shape is obviously a, a modern giveaway um, but as I say, usually when shooting lower light levels, those things, they just disappear anyways, they burn out. You'd never, you'd never sense the shape of them. So you watch out for little things like that. And the odd time there might be uh, more modern, um, LED displays and things would show up in public places. But the art department was really great. This guy, uh, um, Errol Kelly, who despite his name is actually, uh, from Sri Lanka and he is a great guy. He's an amazing production designer. He's really great. And so of course that's their big worry when you're doing two different time periods. Um, I found it really interesting because as I looked around, you know, overwhelmed by like the sort of the beauty uh, and, and difference of this place, it's, it was for me a lot of the time, like really difficult, uh, other than say like cars, to tell the time period, you know, like it wasn't so obvious to our eyes. So, so, so for Westerners, their clothing, all this other stuff, you, of course, you put your full faith in the costume department and art department that they're all over these kind of things. Um, the, yeah, like, so it was, it was interesting that way. Like, um, and another thing that was actually difficult, cars were a difficult thing. There's almost no such thing as a road that doesn't have lots of cars parked along it. So when we had to shoot our car stuff, either inside a car or, you know, drive-bys or car to car, whatever we were shooting, it was really difficult to find places where you didn't have modern contemporary cars constantly in the way. Like, I mean, it was literally like really, really, that was a, for me, I thought, and just for production was one of the biggest challenges because it's a very low budget film and it's, it made me really made me realize like how when you see these period films, particularly in North America or in Europe, you can see how, oh, yeah, they totally lock these streets up and then they make a point of having these amazing, beautiful old cars in there. And it really, you yeah, know, it sells really the period, sells the period, sells the period hugely. Yeah. Whereas ours, I was I kept thinking as people were watching and say who didn't know much about the film that they would very quickly lose sense of time. It wouldn't feel like a period piece to them. Except for the music, like, you know, how in, in 83 in the film, where you start hearing, like, the police and the rhythmics and, like, they're singing songs like that, and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember from the early 80s, that was, that was the big music at the time. Mm -hmm. Those type of cultural reference, references for young people and stuff, uh, you know, really make a lot, of, a lot of sense. But, like, locations, you know, like those mansions, like the homes, like, massive, crazy. Yes, but they're very timeless, though. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like that, they're very timeless, and that's what's neat about it is is that they they really 
like most of them are built, uh, you know, like in like the 1930s or like the late 19th century or something like that. Yeah, they're amazing. Like these, it's very funny because some of them we didn't do a lot of conventional lighting, but many of these mansions would have been perfect because they have like such ridiculously high ceilings in them. They're super handy. And, you know, like it's like you're used to, like there's no, you know, it has that colonial feel about it. And that's one trademark of theirs is extremely high ceilings, but it was almost never kind of of any use to us because we weren't doing that kind of lighting. But I would imagine that they had a lot of windows, so it probably lent itself to this naturalistic source lighting that you were yes, going for. Yes, yes. You know. Yes, although they also didn't want their houses to turn into greenhouses, so you don't see gigantic windows a lot of the time. What was neat was there's there's shutters on everything, and 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 um, many of these houses, especially the bigger ones, they have like uh, you know big awnings or, or big or big sort of decks all around them. Uh, what would you call that? Like an open veranda. Verandas, yeah, they have big on the verandas. So in actual fact, when when people come outside a lot of the time they're they're underneath and this helped a lot because it's very you know it's very equi almost equatorial sunlight there and uh so you know really like a lot of the time you're out in the sun is like way overhead and so it was actually very helpful for a lot of our scenes in the daytime when that happened you know i think it was hot there it was very hot i can see i can see the actors they're like they're that was real sweat <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, my my single because I because I operated the camera on the film too, and it was all handheld. And so, my biggest fear before leaving wait, it was all handheld. It's all handheld. Yeah. Oh. Yes. There's a lot of stabilization in it. I'm. I, I must say, I'm. I'm so impressed with where where that has gone. You know, like, um, like I I really did my best, but you know, there's there's times where, especially when you're walking. You know what I mean, and and your and, and your biggest problem with walking stuff, even you know, is is the is the high the sort of higher frequency judders from your footsteps, and no matter what kind of silly walk you've developed for your handheld and stuff, in, invariably there you know something shows up in there. But I just sort of I really did my best, and then I was super impressed with what they were able to do, uh, sort of after the fact. Yeah, yeah, because I didn't realize it was all handheld. I mean, it felt very fluid. You know, like I, yes. just, I just I just went in the narrative. There was nothing disturbing, and whatever maybe unstable handheld stuff to support the narrative. It didn't seem cheated out of place. So that's really good. Now I want to watch it again and just and disseminate yeah. all your handheld now. <laughs> yes, I mean it's you know it's really funny, and even when we were um, and even when we saw it on a um, uh, like a fairly big screen, like in the DI suite. Um, I was really impressed with what they could do. I mean, it's really good, but you have to be very careful. Um, you have to be, uh, you have to be very careful not to overdo it because, and there's a couple places where like, there's literally one place where an actor literally bumped into me. Like they're surprised. Like these people, when the parent, the, the father burst through this door at one point and these characters come leaning back. And, and a lot of the look of the film is a more sort of slightly wider lenses in close, like you're right in with the people. And he literally came and, bang, and banged into me. Uh, but that was the take that they liked the most for the performance. So it's quite a jar. And if you, you go too far, it, it looks it looks a bit much. But I think it's the kind of thing, it's like the more like we are camera, camera freaks, the more you're likely to notice that kind of stuff. But to most normal people, they have no idea. They wouldn't sort of notice or care. Yeah. So I, when I was watching it, I, I found it, it wasn't particularly lush 
and it was more on sort of the reality based. Was it was right. this something that perhaps a director like did Deepa, you know, what did she feed you as in to like always keep in mind or did does she let just sort of let you kind of go with it? Well, the thing was, it was a funny combination of she, when we started, she basically said, I want to do, I want you to do as little lighting as you have to for a number of reasons. Um, she goes, and I don't want like dolly tracks. I don't be waiting for that and all this kind of stuff. So there was a lot of reasons, um, including, you know, these very practical reasons to keep the approach like this, where it was sort of handheld, as much use of practicals, particularly in night exteriors. So it actually is very funny because, uh, you know, uh, I, I right off the top was like, like, uh, uh, joking around with Anya, uh, our gaffer and, uh, and, um, uh, Spencer and Darshan are, are, grips and Chelsea and saying, we have to sneak around when we're lighting stuff and everything. Don't let Deepa see it. And, and there's this very funny story of how we were, we were filming on this train. It was daytime. It's on a train and you're, you know, it's like one of the characters, he walks away, and um, and uh, he's calling for his son to come join him. Come on, Archie, come on. And he's walking, you know, like 15, 20 feet from the camera. And so as we're sort of blocking out, looking at us, of course, he's falling off a little darker. He, he just, each time he ends up sort of falling into a place where he's a little darker. So we had some time. They had to change them over into something. And so I say to Anya, quick, run, grab one of our LED lights. We're going to hide it in this cabin down here. But don't, you know, we'll run it off batteries. And um, it was so funny because we put it in and then it was all set up and I was checking it out and I was standing in front of it inside the train and Deepa was below on the platform and she was looking up at me and her tiptoes talking to me and then suddenly she just sort of went, hey, you have a light in there. And I go, no, I don't. And she goes, yes, you do. And I go, no, there's no light in here. And I kind of just, I stood forward a little forward bigger and made myself bigger to kind of block it more. I said, no, 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 no. There's nothing in there. That's just, uh, that's, I don't know. That's something they're doing. And I just, and she kind of giggled it off and stuff. So there were, there were things like that where you had to kind of fight and jiggle around to like to hide stuff. And, but it was just sort of the challenge. And, uh, and I think there was a few times where I was very pleased where, uh, we had done little lighting things like that, and she thought they were actually real. Oh, why doesn't he stop in that thing of sun back there in the backyard? And you go, oh, perfect, which is actually a little 1200 HMI, you know, that we hit around the corner. So, you know, sometimes it really played up, it played well like that. But, yeah, there was a call sort of for a sort of a realism, a sort of ruggedness about it. Um, you know, there was very little, if any, I'm trying to remember, I'm embarrassed, actually, but I think there was very little i don't think i really did any diffusion on the lens at all there's a little bit in post in a couple places to literally like in the the lads when they go to two the two guys when they're doing this they do this dance sort of thing there's a little bit of diffusion there just to glam it up a bit because you do start on like real mega close-ups of them and so a little bit of that that you know in the old days one would have for sure filtered at the time of shooting but I didn't worry about that or think about that at the time. I was more of, of, of a sort of a certain realism about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, for that scene, is that where they're in his house and they're dancing yes. together? Yeah, so that's kind of, you, you, narratively, it's like you can get away with, like, if you were, if anyone even noticed the filtration. Yeah, and I don't think, again, I think it's more like, like, like camera people would notice, you know, those type of things. They're the little things that camera people would notice, but no one else. It's very light. But you're right, it was, like, there were times where, you know, there were times like, for instance, where uh, where I would try to steer us to be in a place that might generally, you know, to be somewhere at a certain time of day that might 
beyond just the practical, but might be particularly beautiful or something. And so, for instance, like there was a time where we were shooting. Um, there's um, a couple of scenes in the car in the beginning of the film with the uh, with the, when the in in '74 when the family is young. And there's one where they're singing in the car, you know, and then there's another one where it's kind of a bit, a bit more glum. Well, when we went to shoot that, we were shooting down a coastal road. And the idea is they're coming back from the grandmother's place, from Amici's place. And as we were shooting it, I looked out and it was like over the ocean and to the west. And you would see, oh, okay, the sun's behind cloud in soft light. But you could tell by the time it gets shooting... There's a band of clear light in the sun. The orange low angle sunlight is going to come roaring underneath this cloud. But I thought, oh, but will it linger around long enough to get the scene done before it'll disappear? And then, of course, it'll transform completely into something else. But we were super lucky, super lucky. And it worked out and it was beautiful and played on the scene. Looks great. Um, so there we were really lucky. But this really inspired Deepa. So we had another... Uh, scene the the scene that takes place in the beach where where the family is first introduced to Jagan character the young Tamil uh, sort of young Tan, Tamil tiger fellow who's come to stay with them and uh, they meet on a beach and this is where you see the elephant walking along and it's this very idyllic thing with the the low sun over the ocean mm-hmm. and and that was a thing where Deepa was like originally that was supposed to be in the schedule it was like you know middle of the day or something and they're so like a sunny day at the beach kind of feel. But then inspired, I think, by this kind of thing, Deepo's like, no, let's take a chance. Let's shoot this. Even though it's kind of a big scene, let's let's shoot this at the last second in the dying rays of the sun kind of thing. I was like, okay. And so we sort of did that. And what happened was we had to, there was a shot that we had to get, a sort of so kind of a second unit shot that I had to get. So what we did is we split up and Deepo went with the actors to the beach location and rehearse them in the scene while I went with a very small uh, splinter unit to shoot this stuff with a train. So then we were like, okay, we go to get, of course the train's late. So we're going, okay, we're really cutting this close. So then we went back to the beach. Okay, show us what you guys are going to do. And then we said, okay, great. And then, so we just, Deepa was like, let's do this. And and we went and we did it and we shot all like really quickly, but it was funny. So we shot it like really quickly. And that was with like this fairly low sun. It was great. But then, um, Deepa, the sun sort of went into some thinner cloud and it had a different look and then Deepa's like oh let's shoot this and so we start shooting and I'm going Perfect. well Deepa you know the other stuff's all going to match like really nicely but if we keep doing this I don't know it's going to be a little a little different so we basically almost just did it all again so she sort of had she basically had it both ways it was quite remarkable but that was due to you know her working speed and the actors were really great and we didn't have to do it a lot yeah. And so it was quite remarkable. So it's like, take your pick. Like you can just. Okay. So which one did land? Was it the first one or the second one that's in the film? It was actually, it's, the strangest, it's actually a mix of the two, which, which one I knew that I knew they would do this because I know they'll always go, the editor and the director, they'll go for the performance. And this of course, what made me nervous. I thought they'll do it. They'll mix it up. But, but in the end, in the grade, it was not difficult to, uh, it was not too difficult to sort of, to, to, to put it all together and everything. So. Well, was the weather a challenge there? Like, did you find, uh, was there rain that much? Or was it always like a sunny? No, sunny? I was, you know, I was really surprised. I actually thought that we would, because we would do this, that I really expected to be shooting in like, you know, rain all the time. And like, I expected all sorts of crazy things like that. Um, there were like wicked electrical storms almost every night. It was quite amazing, actually. Like, like it was very common. Um, 
you know, and we're used to them here in Southern Ontario, you know, our summer times, we get wicked storms here. But uh, this was like, oh yeah, this was quite dramatic. They, they had that. But um, the it wasn't as much of an issue as I thought. And in, and in places it worked really well in the scene near the end where the, the, where the trouble has really started in Colombo and throughout the country in 83. And there's roving bands of vigilantes and like, you know, of, of, of nastiness in the streets. And our hero family is being sheltered. They're the you know, Tamils and they're being sheltered by their Sinhalese um, uh, neighbors who, who, who are hiding them. And so we shot that whole sequence where they hide them in this sort of almost like a storage shed in their backyard kind of. And then, uh oh, you know, then these people bang on their door and the old couple opens it. And there are these there's these these nasty people searching for Tamils that are being hidden and they and they burst their way in and, and uh, they move their way through the building. And then by the time and we shot it in basically in linear order. And then as they come out of the backyard, it starts raining. So it actually worked, I thought, really well, because when you first the camera first cuts outside, they come out and it's only when their flashlights pan around that you can see like water droplets and sort of stuff on the lens which is what was really happening and and i was like so pleased when this was going on and i remember during the first take of it literally going this is great this is like perfect but then i remember thinking will this cut like i'm literally <laughs> mentally the wheels are spinning in my head as i'm trying to concentrate on what i'm doing well, well, the thinking like is this gonna work with other and i go no no time has passed it will work and then i just forgot about yeah, it yeah no i know that scene it looks great i guess two questions okay for taking that scene for example like did you throw up some lights i mean it just looked very like okay some some street you know, some you know orange street lights coming in i mean it looked yes like well in actual fact there was no street lights in that scene actually at all yet what 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 goes on it's one of these things you know it's a it, it actually raises an interesting point because it's it's tricky in film like you plan things sometimes that you think are these you know sort of subtle things but they can get lost and one of them is and it's it was in the narrative and this really happened in colombo one of the frightening things is, is is during this night when things just exploded in colombo uh the power goes off and this is what really happened, which makes it really frightening because now everything is dark and it's nighttime and there's no power anywhere. And so we actually had that so that when the family is getting ready in a panic and RG has come back to the house, where has he been uh, you know, with his boyfriend and all, these, all this trouble and they're gathering their stuff up to hide. We actually did a scene where, he, where, where RG's in his room and he grabs his stuff and as he's there, the power goes off and he's left. And so you get this idea the power has gone off everywhere. And so that when you then see them at the neighbor's house, it's really, really, really dark. And that's why when you go in the neighbor's house, they have little candles around and they're, and they're holding candles when they lead the family through. But we actually was, it was difficult because we had to shoot towards the street. And, um, and even though there's lots of vegetation out there, we want, we didn't want like any, you know, like there's not that there's any street lights anyways, but it was like the neighbors' homes across the road. It was difficult for locations to find all these people to remind them to turn their lights off they hadn't remembered or whatever, you know what I mean? And that kind of thing. So it was like, okay, and I think the grips had to go back and put a couple of flags up in the distance to remove, you know, to remove street lights. And you know what? I mean, in this day and age, if push comes to shove, we, we would have painted them out. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah, yeah. these days you can – you can actually calm down about it, about that something as serious as that, and say, "Yeah, well, you know, there's a porch light on across the road. You can you can probably take care of that." But anyway, so that's what we did, and then there, so they're in the backyard. Yes, there was a 
a single little tiny HMI just so because otherwise the whole backyard would have just turned into a black pit. Yeah, I mean, it's a and it was just to put a little shimmer off of the trees and stuff, but they're lit by their flashlights. And so we told them like, when you're searching, point them like this. And we always made sure every take the charge was good in them and you know, that kind of thing. And then, oh, and a very interesting, a very interesting lighting thing that happened is when the family hides inside, when they're first hidden inside that place, it's very dark. Yes. And so we knew that when the uh, the mob that's 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 hunting, trying to ferret them out, when they start pushing their flashlights through all this stuff, that that would form this very dramatic kinetic lighting, for the flashlight beams as terrifying as they're being as they're hiding. But there was this point in between where you're going, what are we going to do? Because we want it to be really murky and dark, but like you know, you don't want to see their scared faces. And then Deep had a great idea. She goes, she goes, I know. She goes. I'll make Diggy, who's the older brother, I'll make Diggy a closet smoker, right? That's what I'll do. And I'll have, and she thought this up, it was hilarious. And she goes, and, and, and at the party scene, which we haven't shot yet, out back, he'll sneak a cigarette and his mother will ca- almost catch him. That's what we'll do. So that's, that's the motivation for him having a, a lighter, like a little big lighter. And so that's what we did. And so we got a big, quick, who's got a big lighter, you know, this kind of thing. And we turned it way up high put the master primes on so that we had all every photon we could get and away we went. It was good. And you know, in some of the close ups, I would like take your hands and like, move your light in closer, you know, move the lighter in closer. <laughs> That's you know, this kind of stuff. No, it works. It works. Yeah. And it worked great. It's a very dramatic scene. It's one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie, but it was, but I just said, Oh, we're just, I mean, I just said everyone was like, trust me, it's going to be like, we're going to, it's all going to be like, a, you know, like really low and practicals. And, you know, and it's true that when the family was really hidden in there and the people wrote, then it was like, you know, uh, like like Anya and one of our and one of our electrics uh, with uh, you know like they'd be like a you know like a six fifty or something on full spot like poking through because there was so much dirty windows and debris yeah. for the light to get through that you needed a bit of punch. No, but it, it, no, the the separation's there because I know that scene exactly what you're talking about. I remember that it was dark, but there was contrast and there was things breaking up, so I knew exactly where they were. So the yes. geography was there, so it was good as you could say it's that scene that's they're in pitch dark but you could still yeah you know, see yeah and then there was i mean that was there was one little kind of little one of my little led franken frankenstein lights was creating a dim dim glow in that chamber when they first get in there so that there was a very dim dim base level so so that you could just see their shapes and then when he lit the lighter then you saw their faces There's something more yeah and then when he put the lighter out to hide then they became kind of invisible in the other place and then when the flashlighting came through then he would it would pick them up and pick up their eyes and stuff like that and yeah well how how were the um logistics for your crew like you say you know grips trying to get to the house across the street to make sure their lights off mm-hmm. or whatever i mean how much control did you have when you were shooting it was funny like i mean they i i think that they were i got the sense that we were shooting in a place that has not seen huge vast amounts of filming done so i think there were still certain people were maybe enamored with it or thought it was really really interesting or glamorous or something you know maybe it wasn't like like they people weren't typically they weren't it wasn't like shooting in a hostile neighborhood where you know, like it's really difficult to get people to help you because they're really tired of film crews. It wasn't, no, it wasn't like that. Logistically, it wasn't like that. I would think it was just, it was a low budget thing, you know? And so sometimes you look (laughs) and say, well, how are we going to turn this? Like there was a few things we were going to shoot where I remember even on, even on the tech scout, we'd be looking at each other going, how is this going to turn? Like in Colombo, the capital, like how is this going to turn into 19, 
70, 74, you know, you sort of go like, this is so massive. Like, it's like, there's no way they can control all this, you know, and there's too many modern signs and, and modern cars and you get, you you don't have the budget for this. Like it's very modest film. It's a very small film. But you didn't really go why there was no like, yes. Well, that's the trick, right? Is, you know, is, is you, is you, you don't want people to feel that you're being evasive, but why would you like knock yourself crazy or, you know, like trying to do stuff, you know, that's impossible. Yeah. Well, it's kind of a contained story. It was about these people. Yeah, you know, exactly. it wasn't. You didn't need to get the landscape of of the country, right? Was, and the land, yes. you know, yeah, it, was, yeah, yeah. it wasn't. That was, you know, yeah. Did you yeah. find um, the sun was harsh there? Did like you have? Did you put up silks or like blacks to help? Did you even go there? There was a little bit. Um, typically, uh, not much. I mean, I, I you know, you, you try your best to put yourself in the right place at the right time. I really, you know, because you know that's the whole thing, right? Go for the path of least resistance. I'm sure most. DPs would, you know, sort of would think that way, but un- you're right. Unfortunately, there's a lot of other circumstances, uh, mitigating factors that'll, you'll suddenly be standing there going, great, this couldn't possibly be worse. It's, you know, it's five minutes after noon and you're, you know, seven degrees north of the equator, right? you know, it's like, so it is literally over your head. Oh, look, I don't have a shadow from myself on the ground anymore. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's, it's quite weird. Um, I mean, I tried to avoid a lot of that stuff and, you know, actors squinting and that kind of stuff because it's glaring. I mean, I got a few tricks up my sleeve. Like I try, you know, I, 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 I try to use bounces that aren't white so that they're not as glaring in the people's actors' faces and stuff. Um, a lot of the time it was, we got lucky that the buildings, a lot of the buildings are painted lighter tones. So you'd pick up, you know, you'd get some nice passive bounce sometimes. Uh, but no, I didn't do a lot, but you know, the light's not necessarily, you know, harsher. It's the direction of it. That's the problem. You know, Uh the fact that it's so overhead for most of the day, like it looks beautiful, like anywhere when it first comes up. And it's one of these places where it's frequently, you know, the old cliche, it looks, it looks like a red traffic light. You know, it's like a red ball on the horizon. Oh, from the atmosphere, the the atmosphere. Because of the thickness of the atmosphere, the humidity, the salt air, the, smoke from cooking fires, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, air pollution, whatever it like, you end up with a, it's like a, you know, I call it like the, you know, the, the, the red traffic light sun. Um, but then very quickly it looks, Oh, now it's low angle sun looks beautiful. And by like, I don't know, like eight, like seven thirty or something. It, it, it feels like noon in Toronto. You know what I mean? It's like, it's up there. It just roars. It just goes straight up basically and straight down. And that's the other thing too is, Magic Hour, which was always, you know, which Magic Hour makes sense when you're shooting in Scandinavia, but Magic Minutes, uh, there it's even worse. And because the sun is dropping at such a steep angle that once it sets, it's getting dark. It darkens at a much more rapid pace, noticeably more rapid pace than it does, say, at the latitude of Toronto or or whatever. So how many hours of daylight is it was it shorter there well no what happens well what happens is the closer you get to the equator um the more sort of almost monotonous it is so it's basically it's up at six in the morning and sets at six at night and it doesn't vary by as much so if you're right on the equator you you know it's it's, there's very little variation between the longest day and the shortest day of the year maybe like 20 minutes or 30 minutes or something crazy like that whereas obviously if you're in uh whitehorse or something it's going to be massive you get like you know 16 hours of daylight in the summer and then four in the winter or whatever, you know, whatever it is. But yeah, so it's, 
it's it's very balanced. It's as I say, it's it's almost sort of monotonous in that sense. The the the, the angle of the sun changes only slightly, you know, throughout the year. So there's not much there's not much of a change. How many how many days did you have to shoot? Um, we did very well. I think we were initially budgeted for thirty six days, but we finished in thirty one. And then, but you had some days here in Toronto, maybe a day. The well, what happened? Here's a spoiler. You know, <laughs> the effect spoiler. At the end of the film, there is a scene that takes place at the airport in Toronto, which is supposed to be nineteen eighty three when the family has made their escape and they end up in Canada. The original plan always was that that scene was going to be shot when we had, after we had come back and probably after they had even like done a lot of picture editing and that scene was going to be shot, if not at Toronto's airport, at something that would pass for it in Toronto in the wintertime, you know, there we'd see their breath and all this kind of stuff. It might even be snowing, whatever. But then once we were there, I think it became really apparent to them, there's no way, just forget about the cost, but from a logistical point of view, there's no way they're going to get all these actors that are playing the family in one place at one time again. And so then it became apparent, we're going to do the airport scene in Toronto, it's going to be green screen VFX thing. So we're going to shoot the family, uh, we're going to shoot them in Toronto in front of a green screen, and then when we get back to Canada, we'll do it. And then when I heard that, um, I immediately went, okay, I'm going to suggest as flattered as I am that you think that, you know, and that I can handle this and I'm really into it. And I know a lot of sneaky things about this, but you know, it is a feature film and we want to look really good and everything. So I really strongly suggest that we get somebody in here, a VFX supervisor that really knows what they're doing, which they, and they didn't hesitate for one second. They right away went, yeah, good idea. All right. And so, so we sh brought in shot them there. So we got Peter McCauley. They brought in Peter McCauley, who's who I suggested to them, and they brought him from Toronto to Sri Lanka. But he also did a very important other function that went sort of beyond the call of duty. He went and got, because there's snow and ice on the ground, right? And falling snow when they arrived. The idea is, you know, you go from this tropical, you know, all you've seen is like green and, and you know, that and this sort of kind of lush patina. And then there they are in a place that is just gray, glass, steel, concrete, and snow. And so Peter actually brought with him, uh, he had a bit of excess baggage, you might say, and he brought with him this artificial snow. Uh, so, you know, the, the sort of ground up stuff for falling and then this other stuff that you add water to for the slushy stuff on the ground. And, and even, I think, even got a little bit of tutoring in like how to do this from friends of his physical effects people. So when Peter came, he really, he really went beyond the call of duty. And so when we shot this sequence and it was in like this tiny little studio and put up these green screens and we had the car there and the art department built like, so what's real is a bit of tarmac, the sidewalk, you know, the sort of kind of wide sidewalk. And then everything beyond that's going to be matted into the, is, is matted in. And the car was but there, have, but the car is good. The car, the car is good. good. The car is there. Just Finding a car in Sri Lanka that would pass for any kind of North American car you would find in 1983. Impossible. Flummoxed them. I swear they could have probably found a Learjet. You know what I mean? But but finding an old North American car, like a North American 80s car or 70s car, was really difficult. So if you look closely, her, it's a good thing that character's got style. 
because it's a very kind of odd looking car. It is like funky. A, it was kind of funky it's car. It's like a Citroën or something. I can't remember yeah, what it is. Yeah. It's a funny looking no Austin Healy or something. Anyway, yeah, it's in character. It's in character actually. Yes, it's you not know. out of character. But anyway, so so that's what we did. So that's what that's the only thing that was shot back in Toronto was was basically the background plates for all that stuff. So as we shot all the different uh, angles in the studio in Sri Lanka, Peter like surveyed it like crazy, and we took all the lens notes. And then when we got back to Toronto on some cold night, I mean, my my suggestion was, I mean, I made it wasn't this way in the script. I think it was undetermined, but I said we should really make them arrive at night. And they said, why night? And I said. Well, because it makes it even like more of a strange freak out semi bummer, you know, to show up in a place. Not only is it snowing, but it's dark. But I said, but also in terms of practical things, if we do try to film at the airport, if we want like amazing glass and steel and stuff, it's got to be easier to do that at two o'clock in the morning. Daytime, we'll, how will we get the permission or close this place off? Like we don't have these kind of resources. So it worked out great, though. So yeah. in the end, it works out great. Oh, that's good. I didn't know. See, I now want to yeah. watch it's it again. Perfect, you, you it's it's a perfect example of seamless yeah, VFX because you don't expect it. You just would assume mm-hmm. that it's real. But yeah, but it has all the details. You know, Peter and, and all, all the people that did it really did an amazing job on it. And I guess you did the, the sort of final timing here. Yes. And did you do some kind of evening period wash thing at all? Or, you know... No, um, well, I mean, well, yes and no. I mean, in the sense of I developed, um, I developed a look for it in terms of a lot. So I, um, in the prep sort of, in, so ahead of time, it's a classic. I always do this. I create this lot and then variations on it. And then every time I do this, and then I end up basically just using one of them all the time becomes the lead that we just, that we view and that's how we burn into the dailies. But we also had a, um, you know, a DR, DIT, a fellow named Jeff Shevin was there. And so, you know, it was all over him and, you know, and he did a great, fantastic job. He's got a great eye. So yeah. So no, he did a good job and everything. And uh, we went, we went further than it ends up being in the end. Like we went kind of nutty and, and, uh, and, and Deepa pulled back on it a bit. I think she was, but uh, you know how, GPs like to do things, but uh, but no. So it was given a look that you would say is almost like, oh, this is the film stock, or this is the look of it. Um, and yes, but so that was that was sort of a given and sort of built in throughout the thing. Mm-hmm. And then as we went through, you just did you know any contrast control that you needed to hold in. You know, I, I mean, I have to say, I've never done so much aperture pulling. You know what I mean? Because of people going from inside and outside, and you're going from you know, it's a sunlit exterior and then you're going inside and it's like very minimal lighting uh, inside. So the con, you know, the contrast yeah. differences were, whereas if you lit the thing, done more conventional film lighting, you know, there's going to be less of that, a, a less of an issue, you know, but with this, it was very extreme. And so I was laughing all the time going, oh. <laughs> you know, like we're constantly doing these shots that I would have before thought, oh, this is going to, how am I going to do that? But it's just like, oh, well, yeah, this is how you're going to do it, you know? And oh, so that's interesting. That's a, interesting. A lot of aperture yeah. pulls in this show. And who was your focus puller? Uh, uh, from there? Uh, who, no. uh, Paul Steves. Sorry, Paul Steves. He, he, right. He was from here. And he's Toronto. from here, yeah. Yes, I've worked with him previously. He he was my focus puller on uh, Through Black Spruce, Don McKellar's film, and I met on met him on that. So he yeah, he is a great guy. So and, uh, was he pulling Iris? 
No, oh, no. Are. I would get Jeff to do it. Oh. No, because I'm operating. Okay. Paul's full in Vogus, and then Jeff, RGIT, he would be watching, and he would be, uh, he with the remote thing, he would be... Uh, oh, amazing. That's yeah. great. Wow. Yeah. Teamwork. Yeah. That's yeah. Great. And it's funny, um, which that reminds me, one thing was like the the cameras themselves performed really well. I was really worried in the heat and humidity. They performed really well, the, the, uh, the LF minis. Uh, but I found... The, uh, the follow focus stuff and everything, wireless stuff sometimes was the trick there in the heat. And I think that the, I think literally the heat shifts the frequencies or something, you know, they would sometimes have problems where they can't talk to each other, you know, like the receiver and the transmitter, I don't think can talk to each other. And that, those are the only sort of technical problems that we kind of ran into from the heat Yeah. that yeah. I recall. So what was it like 40 degrees or something? No, it wasn't as bad as that. The humidity was really high, though. Oh, I was going to say earlier that 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 was a major concern I had before I went there was, how am I going to handle this this heat and humidity? You know what I mean? Like I'm a real kind of ginger a bit, and yeah, you know, Vancouver born. I mean, although I've lost all my I've lost all my cold, damp armor that I had for years. That's all long gone now because I've been in Toronto for so long. But uh, I just, I found it was a funny thing. Yeah, like, I mean, I lost 17 pounds on the shoot, gained it back over the Christmas party holidays in no time. No, but I mean, you know, it's it was true. Like, I mean, that was for a number of reasons. But yes, it was a very physical shoot. And, um, and but I found it's really funny when you're doing something and you're really into it and really focused. It's amazing what you'll put up with. And I, I found this like in, you know, like in trekking when doing these things in the mountains in Africa and crazy wacky stuff I've done. Like I go, oh, I know a lot of people would really be mad at me if I brought them along on this. Like this is something I've wanted to do for years. I love this. You know, I don't mind all the mud and the insomnia from the altitude or whatever, but I go, there are people that would kill me if I dragged them along on something like this because it's they wouldn't be into it. You know, you have to really be into that. And so I find, yeah, when you work in like the tropics, and it's the same thing with the extreme cold. You have to sort of embrace it in a weird way and, uh, you know, and just that's it just is what it is. And you've signed up for it and this is what you're doing. Cause, but, the, it, it, yeah, it's a real challenge, but you can't let it drive you crazy, you know. Well, no, because you're, you know, you're focused on your job. Yeah. And everything is yeah, sort of yeah, incidental. Yeah. Yes. You know. Yes. Well, well, one other thing that was peculiar mm-hmm. to there, I thought, and it's I think it's very much if you're shooting in, you know, developing countries is uh from a lighting point of view it was very interesting again another thing that i hadn't sort of imagined until i got until i got there and saw it is the state of electrical wiring and stuff in a lot of the buildings and things there that you're filming in homes and stuff a lot of times they don't want you plugging in like they say oh you can't plug in your movie lights and i knew that a lot of time they're probably imagining 2ks and 1ks and things and we uh, even a lot of the time we may not even be using that. It might have been just some little LED thing we had or a Kino or, you know, like a 575 or something like that. So I know that – and I know why you, you could respect that and say, yeah, you don't want like 20 amps roaring through a 15-amp circuit or something like that. But the wiring was so crazy that even our practicals a lot of the time, it was very difficult for Anya and her crew. They would have to like – they'd have to go in there ahead of time and try and like high wires and stuff like that. It was very tricky for them. Whereas in a place like this, we would just plug in the wall, you know, big deal. It's made it easy. So when you go in thinking in my night scenes, I'm going to make really strategic use of, um, of practicals. 
uh, then, uh, yeah, you know, it's like, it's not something you're not expecting that. What do you mean? I thought I, I was part of the idea. I could just plug yeah. it into the wall. But, and well, you said in the train, you had some battery, battery powers. Did you maybe incorporate that a little bit where you couldn't plug in? Yes. Yeah. I try to as much as possible. I have some stuff that's from, uh, basically materials I got from Moss, Moss, Moss LED, uh, Jeff, Jeffrey Moss's company. And, uh, you know, with little dimmer controls and stuff like that, and it, it'll run off 24 volts. So we basically, we made sure that we had like, uh, you know, extension cables and, 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 ex and I got brought along extra batteries and stuff. These things, they pull so little current. They're very small things. They pull so little current, they'll burn forever. And, uh, well, not forever, but, um, and, you know, you save power on them and stuff like that. And, uh, I did have one neat little light that was really, I had, um, it was very handy, but it did overheat, and it's uh, it's made by a company called Luxley. And what's really great about it, it's a, it's a small, it's maybe about like like eight inches by three inches across, and not and not very deep. But what's amazing about this thing is it's basically, I think it's RGB white, white one would say, I guess, cool white, warm white. And so it'll, it's got like it's amazing. Like you just dial in the Kelvin. It has amazing like. It's amazing light. Like everything about this thing is amazing. Although what I did have some problems with is that it did get very hot. And so what we would do, and it has an amazing internal temperature monitoring system. So if it overheats, it'll even tell you how hot it is. And you can sit there, watch the thing cool off and say, okay, I think it's still going to be another three minutes or oh, whatever. Oh, so it just shuts down and then it cools it, down. It can shut down, which is a drag. Yeah, these things, they, they too tend to design them to save themselves, which in film always, I'm sure, will make certain people giggle. They're going, forget it. It's more important that we get the shot. It's better that it melts the thing than ruin a performance or whatever. Oh, and then you're but hot. yes, of course, these things will usually thermally shut down. But, um, but it was an example of the... It was really interesting because this light was like it's so amazing like you can have all these amazing presets it'll it'll mimic just about any gel you can think of like it's really it's really great but that was one big issue that we had was like the heat from this thing like oh so you can address it too with uh, bluetooth which was cool you know from just from on you could do it from her iphone but the problem a lot of time is she had to kind of sneak into the room to do that a lot of time with if you lose line of sight you lose control but but she would shut it down or dim it down to like you know one percent or whatever to, to, to try and keep it cool between takes but um but i remember the first time we used it on a particular scene and it had to run for a long time and we were unaware you know it was weird like in my hotel room i was i tested this thing i was able to run the thing it ran for i think like 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 over an hour before it shut off. And I was going, wow, on, on these little Sony batteries too. I was like, this is amazing. But when it was in a hot room, you know, then it, it, it really overheated much right, quicker. Right, because it was hot there. And you're yeah, the room was hot. Probably, yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. So I guess um, overall, you're probably pretty happy with, with what you accomplished on a low budget mm -hmm. in the extreme conditions and yes. <laughs> all handheld. That's great. Yes. Well, what was... To me, what was really neat about it was um, was that uh, Deepa, it was funny, when she first talked to me about it, she was really like, I know that, you know, you like to plan things or whatever and all this kind of stuff. And I was going, oh, yeah, that's like half the fun is like the planning and the dreaming and the scheming and whatever. And but she this was real. <laughs> this was real jazz shooting in a lot of ways. It was really neat. And I really enjoyed it. Um because a lot of time it was neat, like you, you 
we did a lot of the scenes and I really didn't know like exactly what was going to happen. Like I, I always had a very good sense of what the actors were going to do, but deep and I had kept the shooting an actual shot design kind of thing, much more fluid and certain things we actually already knew this is how we're going to do it. And there might even be times where we, we would frequently say on our Saturday during the shoot, you know, on one of our days off on our Saturday, Deepa and myself and the actors would go and the AD would go to the actual locations and we'd do some rehearsals for the big scenes that were any scenes that she was concerned about that were coming up in the next week's work. So we would do that. And I, you know, I do this on, on, on a lot of projects I do. Uh, but usually when I come out of that, on projects, I have a really good sense of not only like, oh yeah, the actors get to rehearse it, but I also have a good sense of how the director and I are going to cover it and shoot it. And so the wheels are turning, you got a lighting plan, you know, so there you go. That's I'm sure that's how everybody does it. Um, but in this case, it was funny. I learned really quickly that a lot of time I did these rehearsals, they were more for the actors. And then to figure out what they were going to do and how they were going to play it. And then the physicality of it too, like where they'll be. So when we get there a lot of the time, I learned very quickly don't expect that we'll shoot it the way we think we're going to shoot it. And so I had to kind of really lighten up that way. So I'm like, eh, okay. So I'd be standing over on one side looking, Oh, oh deep is looking from the other side. Oh, I go over. Oh, you think from here. Huh? So, but at know, least, so it was, yeah, but at least you didn't have like the, I mean, it's good for the performances. So yes. at least they know what they're going to do yes. and they can always move around or yeah. you move around them. That's right. Save and what's time. very liberating is to be in a situation like that. And it's not studio. I mean, it's, you know, it's like location filming, but you don't have gear in the way, you know? And, and so you don't have to like, you can shoot in any direction you want basically because you don't have gear in there or someone's like, okay, well, you know, like, like one interesting side effect of, for instance, of the sun being so high in the sky was because it's pouring almost virtually straight down on you for hours through the middle of the day, you could go outside and put like a, say like a white bounce, like a 12 by 12 back at a 45 degree angle and send soft light in through a window. And it would stay reliably, you know, consistent for quite a long time, more so than it probably would here where the sun, you know, you would get more of a sense of it move. They, it's like they'd have to tweak the angle more. I mean, in the middle of the day, it's not so bad, but there I just found that like when we were shooting in the middle of the day, that's, Another thing, I, you know, logically, you would try to put your you would try to put yourself in the middle of the day inside. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what that's a great experience shooting in Sri Lanka. I think anyone that mm-hmm. maybe is going to shoot over there should contact you, and you can tell them all. Oh all what yes, to look for. yes. Um, but thank you so much, Doug, for um, okay. talking and explaining how you did it all. And I'm I'm going to watch it again, which I think it's going to be airing again. A couple times. Well, it's playing. It's playing constantly on uh, CBC Gem. Right. So okay. it's streaming on CBC Gem. So if you have access to CBC Gem, mm-hmm. uh, I always forget. It's Apple TV. Apple yeah. TV can get it. Uh, if you've got a Fire Stick, you can get it. There's various. Yeah, it things, is yeah. various. Well, that's cool. That's great. So. Yeah. All right. Well, listen. Thanks a lot, Doug, for Thanks your too. time. And nice to meet you for the first time ever. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it has yes. been a pleasure. We really connected. <laughs> Okay, thank you. See you, Doug. Bye. This has been the Canadian Society of Cinematographers podcast. The CSC is a non-profit organization that has been promoting the art and craft of cinematography in Canada since 1957. Find out more by logging on to the CSC.ca. Thank you for joining us.